1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gab Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Ben Smith, and somewhere in the great Northwest, Mr. James Ducker. Today we'll be looking at what could possibly be the greatest comeback ever, at least in English football, at St. James's Park. And also the grudge match between Chelsea and Liverpool, where a certain Fernando Torres was making his debut. And we'll also be debating whether it's time to shut the transfer window forever, at least the January one. I have to start out by making a serious apology this week. Uh, Unfortunately, time is limited. Uh, So if you feel that the exciting game you watched this weekend is getting short shrift, it's because in the judgment of our producer, uh, Chris Skinner, and the team here, uh, these two games were more exciting. But it seems absolutely extraordinary to me that we have the bottom team in the Premier League bringing the unbeaten run of the top team in the Premier League uh, to an end. And... um, we won't be talking about it in Talking Points. Only quick hits for you guys. I think on this week we can call it what most of us would like to call it, which is St. James Park, Newcastle, 3-0 down inside of 10 minutes, 4-0 down by the half hour. But then the Tune Army storms back and the game finishes 4-4. Now, one day I want to go out. Everybody talking about uh, how exciting it was and how fantastic it was and Tiote's goal at the end. I'm going to start out with a slightly provocative question. Um, was this game actually good or was it a case of Newcastle being abject in the first half and Arsenal being beyond awful in the second half Patty
1: both I think it was uh, uh, I think it was a good match because of the from the drama point of view yes you could make uh, technical complaints yes you could uh, make complaints about the teamwork on the Arsenal side in particular in the second half. Um, but by and large, you go to football to see goals and entertainment, particularly the latter. Um, and this one provided it in bucket loads. I thought it was an absolutely uh, terrific uh, match, although I've only seen uh, the highlights, though I have seen them more than once. Um, and, uh, you know, absolutely great. You know, bring it on very much in the, in the spirit of this season. Tucker, if Cicciote
2: hadn't scored that fourth goal, would we be talking about this in the same way now?
3: No, probably not. No, I think um, I think obviously it would still be people would still be saying you know what might have been. I mean, I, I think in many respects it was a, 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 the perfect advert for the Premier League, you know, being kind of chaotic and entertaining. But in in other ways, it kind of shamed it. it you know, just I mean, some of the football, you know, I mean, from a defensive kind of point of view, is absolutely kind of shambolic. I think a lot of League Two clubs who have been. Um, you know, disturb this up that kind of defending had been put to their name. Um, yeah, I mean, it, what made it so special was obviously you know Newcastle, you know, making history by becoming the first. Premier League team to come from 4 4 down to draw, uh, you know, and obviously could have won it at the end. But, you know, it would have just been a kind of an exciting game and what might have been if it had had finished 4 3.
1: I'm sure Ben will have his say as well. But uh, the only thing I would say, James, is I watched uh, Real Madrid, uh, Real Sociedad last night, and the defending there was worse. at least as bad as anything we saw at Saint James Park. I think that the standard of defending generally has been a casualty of the move towards uh, entertainment in in the major footballing countries. So I don't think we can entirely say, oh, you, you know, because the next stage of the argument is probably to say this will hamper us in Europe because we're too porous. It's an example that's it's an argument that's been used before and it's been um, proved. I think football is far more. Uh, homogenous now across Europe than it used to be I wouldn't worry too much about it I would just um, uh, laugh and
0: lap up the goals I'm with you Paddy I think these games are exactly why people fell in love with the Premier League Mm. when they did when it it first came around these kind of games sorry sorry
2: if I jump in there was this this kind of stuff uh, I'm a little bit uh, probably not younger than you Ben but I think probably a little bit younger than you you are younger than me Um, but (laughs) I, I I watched football before the Premier League in this country I remember exciting end-to-end games there, too. Um, Did this not happen before 1992? No, of of course it did, but uh, that's Is it more of an English thing, maybe, perhaps, rather than a Premier League thing?
0: but my point is the Premier League and and the reputation it developed through the world was one for entertainment, possibly over technical quality. Mm. And it's something that, in this country, we're almost given over to accepting that, while we might not have the most technically gifted players, the best defenders, the most creative midfielders, we do know how to provide entertainment. And, you know, it's fantastic to see. I mean, Arsenal will look at it and, and it, you know, it's more evidence that they perhaps aren't ready to win a title just yet. Frailties there that, you know, were exposed in the second half. But, you know, fantastic. Bring it on. Let's see more of it.
2: Well, Let's talk about Arsenal, player because mm. I, I've kind of come to the conclusion this year that we, we will talk about who are the most important players for Arsenal. Is it Sask? Is it Nasri? But I kind of feel that if Song or his understudy, Danielson, who may not be particularly good, but is still a holding midfielder who fouls people and wins the ball, um, if those guys had been available, maybe Arsenal would have played much better in the second half. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you got, Diaby gets himself foolishly sent off, and, 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 and we'll get to that. Um, and he ends up, well, first of all, actually, he, he basically does nothing for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leaving uh, Jack Wilshere and, uh, and 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 to to sort of act as the holding midfielders, yes. um, And then you know he sends on Rozitsky, who who's hardly the, the second coming of Nobby Styles, and uh, and, and and then Emmanuel Aboué sort of ten minutes from time. I mean, is is this a, is are, would things have been differently if if he'd had like a real player to actually. Win the ball, uh, given how often Arsenal were possessing, uh, yes. were conceding possession second half.
1: Yes, I, I think I think that you know we go back to the old: has Vieira been replaced? Has um, uh, Gilberto Silva been replaced? Petit? Uh to, to an extent, yes. Um, so uh, I, I, we all were saying earlier in the season that Alex Song had done that. It was there, uh, so I think there's a there's a point in that. But I, I, as I say, not having been there, I would hesitate to talk about team shape. But I thought it was a failure, a team, a, a, a really really poor team failure by Arsenal. Um, uh, in terms of they became too strung out, they became shapeless, and they became all too easy to to play against. Um, and and the other thing is, what is unforgivable, uh, is to continue. <laughs> Uh, to, to do that after you're down to 10 men after you're down to 10 men the manual has a fairly simple instruction and I think it should apply even to us in Wenger
2: and for those who don't have a copy of the manual handy, generally referred to as
1: two banks of four
2: yeah and hit on the break which well, w- which instead can, they tried to can. keep possession and they lost if you the can stupid you, you, the pitch.
1: you hardly need to if you're four one, I,
2: James I, I, I think it's fair to say one of the turning points was, was obviously Diaby's sending off um, there was a tackle by by Barton in which Bar- it wasn't two footed, wasn't studs up, and Barton got the ball. Um, he also came in like a like a pile driver. Um, but I, I, strictly speaking, I, I don't think that's a foul. I mean, it is one of those risks in the game. Um, and Yabi did not take it well and he appeared to uh to basically grab him by the struck, scruff of the neck like some little sort of street urchin uh, out, out of Charles Dickens or something and uh, and chuck him to the ground um no arguments there
3: no i think it is is pretty accurate summing up there, you know it was it was an exuberant challenge to say the least but it was it was it was was very firm but it was completely fair I kind of I I kind of just kept rewinding and watching it because I wondered if Barton had kind of muttered something to DRV to to kind of because he he was obviously clearly a bit aggrieved at the challenge but just he kind of the kind of reaction i just wondered whether there's kind of been something said and it was obviously a bit in, inconclusive really well, i thought of um, something
2: very threatening and naughty to say but in the current climate i won't say it
3: <laughs> but of course uh, but, I, I mean the Diabri- a, a stupid stupid, re- stupid reaction um and i kind of tweeted you know the day saying uh, about galway was um, was popular in the arsenal dressing room that night and just literally just making that point I got torrents of abuse from Arsenal fans saying, and other people saying you can't you know you can't blame him for it you know no team should lose from 4-0 down I wasn't saying that of course they of course they shouldn't even with 10 men they had you know enough to more than enough to obviously hold on to there but it was kind of rash and stupid and I'm sure then um, we'll tore a strip off.
2: okay so Ducker thinks that it's only Abu Dhabi's fault that uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um... Paddy, at that point, Diaby gets himself sent off. I'm, I'm sure he you know, he deals with it internally, yes. or they'll deal with it internally. <laughs> yes. But then we kind of get this sort of bizarre sequence of events with the penalties. Now, it's obvious, George Calkin uh, tweeted this as well, that Arsenal are very angry about it. I didn't really have a problem with the first penalty. Um, if we are going to have a conversation about it, it's perhaps the second penalty. But before we get to that, let to talk about the aftermath of the uh, of the goal. The, the you know, Barton converts a penalty, um, goes into the goal to pick it out. As often happens, Chesney hands, hangs on to the ball, and there's a there's a bit of a scuffle with Nolan. It looks to me like Nolan kind of cuffs him around the neck. Um, was this a situation where maybe you book both Chesney and and Nolan?
1: Yes, well, I, I, that's that's what I think uh, should have happened. Certainly, Cheshesny should not have held the ball. It's not his ball. It's the property of the referee at that moment. Uh, The referee, uh, obviously, because Nolan was on him so quickly, wanting to seize the ball and continue with play, which is his right, um, the referee should have, uh, you know, couldn't have been expected to have. Disciplined that situation in the time involved because it all happened in a blur. Yeah,
2: but the the, the the linesman, Mr. Massey, no relation. Yes, but again, way, he was couldn't right have there. Been,
1: it. But, but by the time the first offense had taken place, the second had taken place within seconds. So it'd been impossible to expect any official to intervene to prevent the second offense. They were both, in my opinion, yellow card offenses, yes.
3: But Patty, part uh, wasn't what Nolan did like. You know just as bad as what divi did
1: no i don 't think it was because what uh, they were both in my opinion, they were both uh, yellow card violence uh, i don 't agree with this business about you raise your hands you 're automatically sent off. Arsenal did
2: cut united 's lead at to the top of the table by one point, but clearly it's it 's two points dropped and and bizarrely given you know, given the fact that we don 't expect United to lose that many games i mean is this was this the game where, where, where it seems like a paradox where maybe Arsenal kissed the title goodbye?
3: Um, I mean, I, I've kind of, I, I, per, personally, I've just had serious doubts all along that they were ever going to, you know, you know, be able, able to win the title. Um, I think, I mean, kiss the title away, they are only four, four, four points off and United have, you know, we've got obviously some some kind of difficult games still to come. So no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. But I don't, I I personally see the challenge coming from from Manchester City, not Arsenal. Um, and if, if City and if City beat United on um, on Saturday Old Trafford, then um, then uh, you know it'd be able to play for. But you know, again, you know that happens. You know, Arsenal can take advantage of that situation themselves. So no, I wouldn't rule anyone out of this stage.
2: Moving on to Stamford Bridge, um, this game, uh, Chelsea and Liverpool was pretty much depicted as being all about Fernando Torres um, and in a capsule, Paddy. Expectations. I mean, did, were you one of the people who predicted that Torres would struggle alongside Drogba and he would bottle it when faced with his old team and so on?
1: <laughs> well, I was. Uh, my, my first prediction was utterly uh, confounded when I saw him in the starting lineup. I thought that was madness, um, and I, I think DDA Drogba might have gone along with me on that. Um, I thought it was absolutely crazy to expect a pair of strikers to work immediately. I have serious doubts as if they could ever work as a pair of strikers. Those Drogba and Torres. I thought it was a, a, a catastrophic team selection uh, by um, by Ancelotti. What else did uh, get wrong? I'm, well, I'm assuming I'm assuming that Ancelotti picked the team. Uh, it, 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 you, you know, if you were to say, "Don't assume that," I would have to hold my hands up. Hey,
2: what, what, what else did What else did, did Carlo get wrong? Apart from that.
1: Well, I mean that that was bad enough. Um, I think it was a it was a poor, poor uh, team selection. Um, it. I also th- thought that uh, Torres's performance was so milky; it was unbelievable. You would expect a little bit of uh, animation from him, but uh, frankly, uh, he gave the kind of performance that got Roy Hudson a bad name. Uh, I think it was. Uh, uh, he was a profound disappointment, and he's got a lot uh, of improving to do. And so, to be fair, have Chelsea because that was uh, that was a joke of a team, and it got what it deserved. Uh,
2: ben, um, was it down to Torres and Chelsea's bad selection, or uh, I you want to give some credit to King Kenny absolutely. and his three-six-one
0: formation? Absolutely, I think you have to credit Liverpool. I mean. But just going back to Paddy's point, I, I agree with him in in terms of Drogba and Torres as a pair. I don't see how they can work together. They make very similar runs. They both thrive playing that lone striker role with people running off them. Um, it, I can't see it working. He's going to have to make a, deci- a decision, Ancelotti, and leave one of them on the bench. Um,
3: isn't isn't then one of the points though that um, I mean, I, you know, people quick to write Torres off. He's a he's a fantastic player. I wouldn't I'm sure, that, I'm sure yeah. score a lot of goals, but wouldn't wouldn't 50 million or whatever this spent been better better spent getting a top quality defensive midfielder in because John Obi Mikel I'm sorry is not good enough to get Chelsea where they want to sure. go.
0: I think I, I don't think Ancelotti had any intention of spending 50 million quid on Fernando Torres. I think the decision was made um a few levels above him and and I think Abramovich wanted, has wanted to bring Torres in for some time, and I, I think that's very much a decision that Ancelotti hasn't made. It, it doesn't look good for the balance of the side, but you can't judge him on 60 minutes of football. He, he's, a, he's a huge talent, and I'm sure if you can find his feet, he will he will come good for them.
2: I, I want to make a point about this, about Torres and Chelsea, because on, on page five of, of the game today, there's, there's an interesting graphic, and it kind of shows you how... You know, I think statistics needs to be need to be um, read in context. On the one hand, it shows the average positions, which, by the way, in my opinion, is often a pretty worthless um, graphic. Agreed. Um, nice. And it showed Torres and Drogba both sort of stuck one on top of each other right in the middle of the pitch. Mm. But then there's another graphic which says, which shows Torres touches for Chelsea. And I... I I'm not going to sit in here and count them, but I would say that maybe, well, oh, fifteen, twenty percent of his touches were actually in the middle of the pitch, and he had a lot of touches wide left, and a lot of touches wide right. Um, I was at the game. I actually thought that Torres, I mean Torres and Drogba, obviously they need time to gel together and whatever. But I didn't think the problem was that they were necessarily getting in each other's way. I, I, I thought, I, especially in that spell, actually early in the second half, I thought they actually did a, did a pretty good job of. Trying to go in different directions, trying to pull the center halves. So I think that's a big part of the reason why why Doug Leash effectively had three center halves in there, yeah. Yeah. so that you know we, we, with two it would have been would have been more difficult. We would, people would have been pulled away. That's so, right. I mean, I'm wondering if maybe we aren't overstating this a little bit about the impossibility of them playing together. Just maybe it'll it'll take some time, and and maybe you wonder whether
0: Analka's the right man to play in the hole behind them. Yeah. But, but you, I mean, in terms of the balance in midfield, do you think? The light, the effect it has on Lampard and and. The, you know. I think McCall and Lampard
2: were very poor. Sure. I think Lampard's really struggled. Yeah, um, I think since Ramp, back from his injury
1: in, at club level. He plays in a semi-holding role for England f- often, but I don't think in club level you want him there. You want no. him scoring goals for Chelsea. Absolutely. He's been doing it for eight years. You know why stop now? Absolutely. Because uh, he's, he's thirty-three. When coming you're coming off a big injury, he's saying only why, four goals this why, year. Why stop now while he when when he's running out of time? Um, I mean. Lampard must be in an attacking role, but you can't have four all-out attackers. Uh, and 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 by the way, if you watch Lampard playing for Chelsea, he is an all-round all, all, an all-out yeah, but, attacker. But sorry, Patty, But last season,
2: they Chelsea played four three three, and so that was three strikers plus Lampard. And yeah, well, but yesterday, difference?
1: yesterday they had three strikers, uh, in, uh, of whom Anelka was one, plus Lampard, but playing. In a, a kind of neutral position, alongside Mikel, who's—I mean, heavens—you talk about lucky managers. That Ferguson, he's done it again. He's got out of jail. He tried to buy Mikel. He—he—he he went to court to keep almost to keep Mikel. <laughs> what an escape! He doesn't half get away with it. Well,
2: he got a uh, lot of money out of doing that. So maybe yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, it was because, all part
1: of his uh, of Sir Alex's master exactly. plan. Exactly. I mean, I, but anyway, that, uh, so 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 you know, there's there's nothing there at all. Uh, in that uh, that very vital position. Also, I think what we, we I, I would like to give absolutely full credit to Dalglish's Liverpool. Absolutely brilliant. It's lovely to see uh, three at the back come in. Somebody said they had five at the back. Liverpool. That wasn't the way it came over on my t- television set. I thought that uh, particularly Johnson out of position. Uh, his technique was poor, but his uh, positional play was excellent. He kept pushed up the pitch. Keeping pinning Basingwa back, it was absolutely terrific. And at the end of the game, I thought was Ashley Cole playing. So that's Martin Kelly. Uh, you know, Kelly was I thought, yeah. I thought that Liverpool had seven candidates for Man of the Match. Uh, uh, Cout was magnificent. Uh, Lucas was magnificent. Carragher was magnificent. Gerrard was magnificent. Uh, uh, the the uh, Kelly was magnificent. Uh, The goalie was only asked to do two things. He did them brilliantly. So uh, it was a a terrific performance, and that it was boring. It's
0: that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
1: and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind.
2: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Doesn't matter. I mean, I remember Liverpool under Oulier went and did the same thing. Came back with a 1-0. Uh, Bruno Sheru scored. And uh, people said they were boring, but, you know, that's, that's not what it says in Rothmans. But... Yeah, it also says that Juli won and
2: led Liverpool to as many Premier League titles as, as you did Patty but that's a whole other that's a whole other issue we feel three about trophies it. in a season I think Kenny would settle for that <laughs> don't you um but actually I, I, I do want to give give, give dog leash credit because I, I think that there, there's there's, there's, well, there's I think there's two big perceptions which in some way we're, we're knocked down um one is that dog leash was just come in and be sort of the old school motivational guts and glory type guy and you're mm. playing for the legend mm. and all this jazz. But mm. instead what we saw here was was very tactically sophisticated. I mean, you know another uh, and the other point on, on, on the tactics thing, I it's weird. At the World Cup you had all these sort of savvy tactician types talking about how four four two is dead and, and, and three at the back, nobody in the universe plays that and <laughs> it's stupid and yada yada yada. And here is somebody who comes out, and you know, I mean, I was on a show with Steve Nicol last night. He called it a three-six-one formation. We can quibble three-six-one, three-five-two, yeah. whatever you want to call mm. it. Well, certainly wasn't three-five-two actually. But um, but here is here is a, a British manager who goes out, uses a different formation, a formation that I, I think was. Maybe Harry Redknapp a few years ago. Was he the last guy to play three at the back uh, regularly in the Premier yeah, League? Yeah, but I mean, it, it, Many, I
3: mean Doug Leach did used to do it. Doug did, did used to do it on occasion. Yeah, yeah, it was 20 years
2: ago, though. What yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm saying
3: is, like, for
2: Doug Leach to go and do this now, I think shows foresight, it mm. shows guts, mm. it shows a creativity.
1: Yeah. I mean,
3: I. know <laughs> him to play Steve Clark's
1: role and all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, Steve. Basically, what leash has done is found. Sorry, in- I'm sorry, sorry,
2: sorry. Can we just pull up on, on Steve Clark? I, I I know Steve Clark. I, but he's been at the club how long? I mean, do you really think? Do you do you really think that, that that a light bulb goes off in Steve Clark's head and and he, he becomes sort of the master tactician?
3: So no, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you know he he he's he he's going to have obviously kind of some influence. in and in, and I'm not saying he's you know, it's because of him that Liverpool are suddenly kind of turning things around. But you know, his kind of input will obviously kind of you know be benefiting them. And, and Chelsea have Chelsea have suffered for the loss of him. Uh,
2: final point on Glenn Johnson. Obviously, we we know him as a right back. He became an England international as a right back. I, I think he's a he's a very very gifted player who perhaps hasn't been as consistent as as he might have been. And obviously, also had a difficult time under uh, under Harson. With Martin Kelly emerging, and I think a lot of times with homegrown kids, we are a bit too quick to lavish the praise. But I'm wondering, he did a job in midfield. Um, does anybody here want to argue that maybe that's his future as
0: as sort of a, a left wing back cutting inside? I think it's it's been a wise move, partly because a lot of Johnson's problems have stemmed from his his desire to get forward and his his ability to beat players and go forward have then made him vulnerable at the back so but perhaps throwing him across to the other side of the field where he's not quite as comfortable going forward on his left foot he is maybe just his positioning is slightly better he's slightly less inclined to bomb on and uh, you know he's he's been fantastic there since he's moved over he's been very willing to do it as well and said he's happy to play there um i can see i can see it. You know, I can you see it working. a lot
3: of attacking. Oomph, sure, but uh, I think so does Patrice Everett. You know, I mean, he he's fantastic, kind of going forward, but he's also a brilliant defender, in it, and he doesn't. You know, he had obviously a, a minor, a minor kind of blip at, at, at the start of the season, but has been terrific for five years or so. So, I mean, I think with uh, Johnson doesn't appear to kind of have have that ability to kind of juggle those two kind of disciplines. So maybe. You know, it's obviously very, very early days and very difficult to kind of judge off, you know, the game midfield here, you know, here or there. But 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 it would, you would think, I'd free him up um, perhaps um, because, I mean, it's, yeah, it's big questions about whether whether he'll ha- ever have that kind of defensive, you know, discipline drummed into, or, or rather the ability to juggle the defensive responsibilities with his desire to attack. And, and that obviously is something you don't want to take out of his game
2: moving on to our debate this week um, we're going to talk about the transfer window Um, obviously uh, there's always high drama and you know we all sit there and we wait for for, uh, Andy Burton to appear on Sky Sports News with his two mobiles and then of course, this season, he wasn't there, which no disrespect to Darmus Sheth or, or, or Brian Swanson, but it just really wasn't the same without him. But I want to talk about something uh, a, little bit, a little bit more serious. Um, we didn't have a transfer window in this country until not that long ago. Um, different countries had different rules. A while back, uh, UEFA said, let's go and let's standardize this. Let's, you know, we, we live in a, in a global market. Let's have a start date and an end date. Um, I personally thought it was a very logical move. Um,
1: some people don't like the transfer window, do they, Paddy? No, most people uh, want to have a free-for-all, which what we used to have was a free-for-all whereby you could make transfers at any time during the season uh, until the window closed, in the, you know, the open season closed about mid-March every year. You could buy players after that, but you couldn't use them in that in the current season because obviously you don't want somebody buying their opponent's team on the eve of a championship decider in mid-May. Um, that was the system as it was; it worked, um, but it, it was it, it tended to favour obviously the rich if they're able to buy and chop and change their team all the way through the season. It's obviously helpful. Um, uh, so I was glad, like everybody else, when the transfer windows came in, and were standardised throughout Europe. The problem is that they're at the wrong time. I would have only one window, and I'd close it in June. Uh, for the close next, it in June for the next season. Yeah. When would you open it? I would open it basically May. I would have it only open for a month.
3: What? Yes. It would be only. Pad- Paddy, come off it. Um, um, do you, do you, the intricacies involved in transfer negotiations and the difficulty and stuff. I'd say I expect clubs to be able to sign players James, in the space of a, of a month. James, just James, ludicrous.
1: James, signing you could do in a week. The the point is that it it's the, there's nothing to stop uh, the the negotiations the. Uh, the deals being done well in advance basically it should be part of a manager's job to plan for the next season in the current season that's the whole problem with the game You, you start the season I mean personally I find it I think it's the worst thing about the modern game is the fact that the transfer window takes place at the wrong time you start the season with your brand new season ticket and you, you, go, you watch your team run out at the start of the season, and, you know, like Sunderland fans say, well, I wonder how many he's going to score this season. Well, what you don't know is that if whatever he scores, it won't be for you, it'll be against you. Now, that is awful. That is terrible for the dignity of the supporter. It's terrible for the dignity of the player. And it's terrible for everybody except agents. And I would like to have a system whereby, and it pertains in other sports, It's only we who put up with this nonsense. And, of course, you're never going to get a journalist complaining about it because it it, it, it apparently is good for newspapers. But uh, I find it a complete bore. And what's more, one that does nothing for the dignity of the game. So I would have only one transfer window. It would be very, very short, and it would take place as soon as the season ends. Paddy, what happens
2: if you have a team that's uh, just... Relegated. No, that's, that's hit by an injury crisis in, in, in December. Well, that's, well oh, this, is, this, is, where the ad, this is
1: where the advantage of the system comes in because you do what you used to do. You have a reserve team that matters something. You have a youth development system. It would force every club... Who had to concentrate on youth development, so that they constantly had a pool of players who were good enough, if necessary, to step up, and that that would be just Doesn't another. Doesn't that raise costs? Um, I beg your pardon? Doesn't that raise costs? Having a reserve team, having a giant squad. Of course, it raises costs. costs if, money. It, it raises costs, and the money that would be spent on on youth development. Would be money that would be saved from the inflation of the transfer market.
2: When you say youth development, you're talking about these are professionals, right? Once they hit a shirt, you're not going to play 15 year olds, right? So you're going to have to have people on professional contracts. They'll They'll be
1: on professional contracts, but many of them will be on contracts that are not even a tenth. Of the contract of your star players, for example, Josh, Josh McEachran at uh, at Chelsea. I don't know what his wage is, but I would doubt very much if it's a tenth of Frank Lampard's. Um, so, and yet the difference between the players might not be so apparent. I mean, McEachran's an, an enormous talent, and it would uh, uh, it would to an extent force clubs to. Uh, To have a a developed youth development policy instead of it being as it is at the moment an optional extra.
0: But, Paddy, the comings and goings at clubs and players, favourite players leaving and going to rivals, uh, isn't that just something that football as a whole has has become used to and accepted? It's a a part of the game, whether it's a good part of the game or not. All I'm saying is I haven't accepted it. Sure.
1: And I think that it's also, it encourages short termism. I mean, yes, short-termism—we have all accepted. We dress it up as entertainment. The transfer window is funny, and 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 Gabs gets a laugh by giving the name of the the bloke, whoever he is, that uh, that, that fronts it. You know who it is. I don't Come know on. who it is. He's got two mobile phones. Uh, well, all right, he's got two mobile phones. I mean, I did at one stage, but um, it 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 it, uh, it it is simply undignified, and it it. I think the blurring between football and fantasy football is past a joke. I'm bored with it. The days
2: of the uh, of of sort of the maximum wage and indentured servitude of footballers are pretty much over um, in every other profession, you give a notice period and you can change jobs mm-hmm. um, footballers are bound by contracts. We've had a number of legal cases. Um, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, if that you're a good footballer in a bad team. If you were in any other job, you could give you know, X amount of weeks notice, walk out and join somebody else. None of this transfer fees and whatever else.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, we've struck an uneasy compromise with the Players Association, which basically means it's nearly impossible to do that. But, um, to do, but, and we've done that in the interest of stability. But what you're suggesting is that Ben Smith is a, is a striker at, at Leighton Orient or something, and thinks he's going to do well, and then the manager doesn't like him or you know plays his nephew or something. Um, he has to sit the entire season without any prospect of playing, damaging his career prospects. Um, he's obviously still getting paid, but I I think we have to remember that these transfer windows don't just apply to you know the the, the millionaires in the Premier League. They apply you know, across the football py- pyramid to people in the lower leagues as well. Um, is that, is that um, fair? I mean, it, it, is, does making a lot of money justify this kind of servitude? That's one of the
1: best arguments. I mean, I, I, yes! re- I recognize that argument. That's because I had my Gordon that, Taylor That's a wrong. genuine argument. There are other arguments. I mean, all the arguments against it are, are worth examining. I'll give you another. But mine the are other, better. The, the other one is when, when the club uh, changes its manager after the window so you you have um, let's say uh, Martin O'Neill uh, doing uh, Aston Villa's recruitment policy and Gerard Houllier coming in and saying I don't want these um, so well, of, course, of course there are there are issues but of course if you change the landscape you change the way the clubs change managers um, but uh, it, uh, it, it, it by and large um and and to, to go back to your your very legitimate uh, inquiry um or uh, uh, query about about a snag it that's a genuine one and uh but i think on balance uh the odd case in which as you say somebody comes in and favors his son in law and some poor sod has to play out the season in the reserves when he's actually better than the son in law it's it's the kind of thing that happens um and it's it would just be one of the unfortunate effects well, of a much, much better system.
2: Well, let's resolve this in a, the way they do it on, on X Factor, albeit in a very reduced way. Yeah. Uh, ben, status quo or the Barclay plan?
0: I'll go for the Barclay plan, but with reservations. Ducker.
3: Sorry, but are, are the options open all the time as it is presently or the Barclay plan?
2: When you vote for X Factor, right, you don't get that many options. You only get two (laughs) options, and you can't put
1: all these caveats in. So it's status quo or the Barclay plan? Status quo. Uh, And I'll go for status quo singing paper plane. There you have it. I'm with status quo as well. (laughs)
2: Time now for some quick hits, your favorite part of the show. Now, it was such a nutty weekend that the bottom club being the top club and ending its uh, invincibility in the league this season only makes it into quick hits. Uh, Patty, did United have this coming? And why can Wolves beat the big clubs but not the little ones? And finally, does Paul Scholes' propensity for cheating by punching balls into the back of the net with his hand diminish his greatness?
1: Mm. Right, OK, last question first. No, it doesn't. It didn't with uh, Diego Maradona. What diminishes Scholes' greatness uh, is his thuggish tackling. Uh, now, as for uh, did United have it coming, I never thought they would go through the season unbeaten. After all, only two teams ever have done in the history of league football in this country, and United certainly couldn't be compared with either of those. You don't have to compare United with Preston North End, eighteen. No, no, they were a terrific side, and I'm the i <laughs> definitely the only person here who not only saw them but reported on them uh, admittedly a second man uh, to Brian Glanville to Brian Glanville exactly <laughs> uh, with Malcolm Brodie making the tea and why can Wolves beat the big clubs but not the little ones well I think they beat the little ones as well um, but the, I think the, basically it's the spirit of this season the uh, smaller clubs are not frightened this season as they have been in previous years Louis Saha
2: scored four goals as Everton defeated Blackpool, 5-3. Uh, Ducker, Saha went ten and a half months without scoring a league goal in 2010. How to explain this turnaround? And please don't say it's just injuries.
3: Well, uh, you know, Saha himself has, is, is, I mean, he actually came out after the Babylon games, and he has been saying this for a while, that he held his hands up and said that his confidence is pretty shot. And I think we all know, about the importance of, of strikers, you know, in confidence. I mean, you know, not, not down the east flanks, we saw obviously Wayne Rooney going for like nine months without without a goal from open play for United. Um, you know, and I, I think, I mean, Saha has, has always been a huge kind of confidence player. He's, he's one of those that's needed a...
2: <laughs> Wrap up, please.
3: I was just going to say, he's, he's one he's always needed an arm around his shoulder in, 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 in something, obviously, appears pierced or a twigged final for him.
2: Spurs draw level with Chelsea in fourth place after beating Bolton, thanks to a spectacular late winner from Nico Crenshaw. Ben, I thought Redknapp had forgotten all about his existence. Does Nico have a place at Spurs, or
0: will he be going back to the end of the bench when the regulars return? It was a wonderful goal, really fantastic strike, but um, it it, it doesn't look great long-term for Crenshaw, I don't think. Bale was injured, Modric is out, and instead of throwing him in from the start. He preferred to move Lennon over to the left, Van der Vaart to the right. So he's, he's a good player. I just don't see him as a regular for, for Spurs. I think Pinar's there, Van der Vaart, Modric. Sorry, Nico.
1: Gab, anyway, uh, one for you. Inter played Roma on Sunday night. I bet there was no excitement comparable to the Premier League in that one.
2: Well, actually, in this case, you'd be wrong, Patty, which is why I posed the question. Um, it was actually a fantastic game. Um, uh, although, again, you can go back to uh, to poor defending, but and some people might say that's what happens when you you, know, you replace Rafa Benitez and Jose Mourinho with a Brazilian like Leonardo. But uh, uh, Inter Milan at one point, 4-1 up. Roma go down to 10 men, but they claw two goals back. It's 4-3, dramatic winner at the end, wide open game. And um, I think it was a nice way to cap off what, Uh, across Europe, really, has been uh, an absolutely fantastic weekend. And that's without mentioning Bayern Munich frittering away the lead and (laughs) losing at Cologne. (laughs) Let's all laugh at Bayern. Let's all laugh at Bayern. Now, of course, uh, uh, the game podcast wouldn't be complete without the Facebook question, uh, which this week is directed at you again, Patty. Mm -hmm. It's from uh, Ollie Norwell. And his question is, which four teams will be in the top four positions of the Premier League come the end of May? Spurs seem to be the team that are going to miss out, but with Man City faltering, could the team from North London pip them to the post for the second
1: year running? I think not, Ollie. Uh, I feel that Manchester City's uh, result on Saturday, the one that condemned the aforementioned Robbie D uh, to gardening leave, um, shows that they will continue to pick up enough points against the lower teams uh, to to give them the edge over Spurs because Spurs aren't used to dealing with the Champions League as well. But Spurs will definitely finish fifth. At the top four will be Manchester United in this order. Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester City. Thank you, Ollie Norwell, who, of course, went to
2: our Facebook page. Uh, uh, You'll find the Times and Sunday Times Facebook page. You can leave us a question. And uh, our producer, Chris Skinner, who hangs out there uh, probably more than he should, uh, uh, will select what, in his opinion, is the best question of the week. And we will pose it to our panel. You can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, your gossip, your analysis. Also, our web chat. Mine is on Mondays, and uh, the stunning awesomeness that is Ollie Ollie K. is on Wednesdays. And also, you can get Patty on... Tuesdays. Tuesdays. There you go. You can also follow most of us on Twitter. Ben Smith's on there. Ollie's on there. Uh, Ducker's on there. We're basically all on there, except for our producer, Chris Skinner. So that's all we've got time for today. Please join us next
3: week. Until then, toodaloo!